poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Philosophical Friday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. Today is hopefully the start of a new series that we are dubbing Philosophical Friday, or I'm dubbing it, and we'll see if the name catches on like wildfire. Uh, The purpose of the show is to dive into some of the philosophical questions of poker and you know, two major things that I like about Philosophical Friday is, you know, I'm a big fan of alliteration. I think first and foremost, this is this is the driver of everything I do, Tactical Tuesday, Philosophical Friday. Um, and secondarily, getting the opportunity to create some content and do some podcasts with Duncan Palamortis, the UCLA math professor. He's been on the show. Um, I have had many conversations with him off air as well. He's just a, a massive resource to the poker community at large. Uh, Duncan, welcome back to Chasing Poker Greatness, sir. Good to be here. Yeah, it's it's great having you. And as I said, you know, I, I had to ask you just a few moments ago, like, have you been on the show once or twice? Because I, I forgot. Um, we've we've probably had ten meetings over the past year privately just discussing some projects that uh, I was working on. I had some, uh, shockingly, some math questions and <laughs> I needed an expert to help me out with. Um, and we've talked about uh, you wanted to join the Villager Royale, which went down like a year ago. Um, and then that project sort of fizzled out after I realized how much energy it took uh, cutting and splicing a bunch of different things together. So I guess let, let's first talk about the origin of this project, how it came together, and and why we felt it was something worthy of putting out into the world. Right. Um, well, I, I'll tell you what I usually, you know, tell 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 my wife, you know, when uh, um, when it, you know when it's her birthday, you know, we one of the the, the ways I like to, to to approach birthdays is that I want to treat birthdays as every other day and every other day as if it's 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 your it's it's my birthday basically so I tell my wife happy birthday like probably like I don't know like 200 days a year just <laughs> I, I have that, that approach so I guess what I'm trying to say is what you were saying earlier when we had all these conversations and it feels that you know the podcast is like an everyday conversation and also an everyday a, a conversation could be like a podcast and of course I mean it's all uh, it, it's relative, you know, some people may like it, some people may not. I'm, I'm not just saying that, you know, like all of our conversations are, you know, uh, worthy for people to, to spend their time. But at least it feels to me that, you know, it, uh, there, there's so many things going on when we're having these this private conversations. We might as well, you know, put it out there and then let people decide whether they find that interesting, uh, interesting or not. And, and, and it often, another thing is that, you know, we're talking about poker, but um, as we're digging deeper and deeper, it, it sort of feels like there's other things lying underneath, right? I mean, there's some more, more important things that uh, we can discuss. And, well, and, and I, I, I don't want to 
talk about that today, but I, often one thing that comes up in our conversation is, is truth and how truth is defined <laughs> and how many times there are disagreements with people. And I, and I thought, you know, that would be at least something worth discussing, try to do our best to shed, you know, both sides of the argument to the greatest light possible. And um, we shouldn't <laughs> dig that, uh, I mean, we shouldn't like, you know, dig that deeply today, but um, that's what one, one topic. Uh, and, and several other things too, you know, uh, you know, how people perceive games, that would be another thing, or, uh, you know, GTO, what exactly is, is GTO, the philosophy behind it, why people like it so much, and, and, and things like that, which I think we can maybe talk a little bit about later today. Yeah. But that's, that, that's, that's the origin, basically, that, you, you know, treat every day as a special day and every special day as every other day. That's, that's how I would, you know, summarize it. Well, that's, that's very well said. And, you know, today, we are going to speak about GTO philosophically. Uh, and I know that many people in the village have asked kind of philosophical questions just over time, things along the lines of uh, when does a professional poker player, like what do they do with their money? Like, do they just always save their money for their bankroll? Do they spend their money? And at what point do they start spending their money? You know, just these sort of questions um, about being a professional poker player. And yeah, I think they're interesting and worthy of discussion. And if anybody's listening to this right now that thinks they, that, ha that has a question that they feel would be a great topic for the show, feel free to send me an email, brad at chasingpokergreatness.com or a message in Greatness Village, uh, post it in any of the channels or send me a direct message, whichever. And yeah, that would be very helpful to find topics to discuss and, and also learn you know, what you're interested in uh, about learning more about. Um, Absolutely. And, 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 and Brad, since you mentioned it, you know, uh, some of these questions, you know, as they pertain to, to finance or investing in general and how, you know, poker players deal with their money, let us know also if this is a topic you're interested in. You know, personally, I'm, I'm very much interested in, uh, in this kind of questions. You know, how can one, you know, build uh, wealth uh, using, using poker as, as a source? And, you know, we can discuss ideas and things like that. So, but it doesn't know if that's something you're you're interested in. Yeah, and I have some actual uh, philosophical questions as well um, that are just kind of coming to me that I think would be great, uh, just great topics to discuss later on down the road as it relates to you know poker coaching and poker training and all of these sorts of things. Um, cool. So with that said, you know I think we've done. A decent enough job introducing uh, Philosophical Friday. And so stick around after the break here. And we're going to dive into the first topic, which is GTO. What is GTO? Is balancing the same as GTO? These sorts of questions. So stick around. And me and Duncan are going to do a deep dive into Game Theory Optimal. All right. Welcome back to Philosophical Friday with Coach Brad Wilson and Duncan Palamortis. And Duncan's topic today is GTO. So since this is a realm that you have thought quite a bit about, uh, and in your first episode on CPG, one of the one of the things that I recognize very quickly when as you are writing your book, um, and, and you can discuss your your book as well how figuring out like what poker is and breaking it down from like a base foundational concept is just like 
a lot of work and very, very challenging. So yeah, just um, we'll transition now to talk about what you learned when you were writing your book um, and then about GTO. For sure. Yeah. One thing that I want to say, and I think it's very relevant to, to, to GTO is that, uh, uh, which incidentally, we should probably also define for, you know, uh, the 1% of our viewers who may not know what it stands for, Game sure. Theory Optimal. <laughs> and we will talk about that a little bit. Um, but Game Theory Optimal, I should repeat it one more time. Uh, the one thing that I, I soon realized is that noise reduction, i.e. the idea of basically trying to um, create a, the, the basics of a, an otherwise complicated idea uh, is actually very difficult. Uh, Einstein used to say, you know, you should make something as simple as possible, but no simpler than that. <laughs> so do not, basically do not oversimplify things, right? And th this is actually incredibly difficult. So try to, you know, get poker down to the, its, its bare minimums. It's actually incredibly hard. At least it, it, is, it is for me. It might be easier for other people. I should speak for myself. So, and, uh, and, and GTO is no different. Because essentially, uh, there is this very uh, interesting realm where the people who usually avoid using GTO, uh, um, they're coming into two widely different groups. So there is those people who actually do not understand it. They do not understand how it works. They do not understand how it does. They do not understand how to use it. And then those people who um, avoid it exactly for those reasons, because they understand how it works, they understand how to use it, they understand how it does, and for that reason, they, they, they avoid it. So what is it that, you know, GTO does? And why is there that, you know, um, uh, that, that discrepancy, even for those who, who do not necessarily, who do not necessarily use it? And uh, um, I tried to, and, and this is an example you actually, uh, use yourself, the, the rock, paper, scissors example. example. And wh why don't we, we start there? You know, why don't we start by um, what is GTO uh, in, in your own, you know, uh, simple, simple words, uh, what is your GTO? And then we, we, we can go from there. Yeah. And uh, so <laughs> it's funny. I don't know why that happened, by the way. Like why, why when you're writing why Alex beats Bobby at poker, um, that metaphor that you use is like the same one that kind of came to me of, you know, you're playing rock, paper, scissors against another human being and like GTO. So game theory optimal just means the, a strategy that is not exploitable, right? It's just like a, a strong strategy that the person can't just beat or they, they can't beat. Um, and in rock, paper, scissors, uh, GTO strategy is just randomizing every single action that you take. And by randomizing every single action that you take, because there's no, there's no option you can choose that is superior to the other options, um, that will, you, you know, you just have a strategy that's unbeatable. Uh, and by unbeatable, I mean, you know, they're not going to beat you more than 50% of the time over infinity, right? And so that's, that's GTO, um, assuming that, you know, you're playing against somebody else that is also playing GTO, which is sort of the first assumption that goes into figuring out what, you know, the game theory optimal strategy ought to be. Correct. And, and to, to add a little bit, uh, a, a little bit here to that is that a, a common misconception is that people think that GTO is the most profitable strategy, right? So a lot of people think that GTO maximizes profits. In actuality, it does the opposite. It is it is a a highly risk averse strategy that locks in profits without taking 
an extra risk to increase that amount. So it kind of like locks in. I, I think that that will be the phrase to remember. It locks in profit. So if somebody can, says, can, yeah, yeah go no, ahead. No, can, can I dive into that extra yeah. risk? Because I think it's important to define what that extra risk is, right? And the extra risk is that somebody recognizes the hole in your strategy and takes advantage of it, which is you know, basically known as an exploit. Correct. That's exactly correct. So again, if, if we were to give that in a, uh, in, in a metaphor, in a very, very crude metaphor, um, and we're going to use like very, very small am amounts of money. So just to, to keep it very simple. So let's say that uh, you have an opportunity that there's a pot, there's $10 in the middle. You have an opportunity to lock in, let's say, um, let's say we're heads up, you have an opportunity to lock in five of those dollars. So you say, you know what? I want my $5. I don't want any dollar more than that. I just want to lock in the $5. And GTO guarantees me at least that. If my opponent plays, makes mistakes, maybe I'm going to get a little bit more than five. Maybe not, depending on how my opponent plays. It's no longer up to me. I lock in those five out of $10 and that's it. I'm, I, I, that's what I'm going to get. Now, in the other example where you know the extra risk as we say exactly as you described it you go for instead of five dollars you go for seven dollars let's say out of ten with a small window of exploitation if your opponent is incredibly sophisticated often if your opponent is as good as a computer maybe they can see through it and instead of us getting seven dollars we ended up getting three so there is this risk extra risk although understand and what that risk is, I think, is incredibly important. Uh, and it's an important uh, piece of information, which I spent like an entire chapter talking about that risk, that it's actually not as big as people think. And it often requires, you know, a computer to start, you know, um, cold calling four bets uh, out of position with hands like three, five suited and things like that, which, you know, no human uh, who's not tilting uh, is usually doing, 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 making plays like that. Yeah, and okay, so I think that answers the the first question here of what is GTO, um, and the the next question that we have is is balancing the same as GTO. So constructing you know a balanced range, which again uh, to define it would be you have the same number of. Um, bluffs or lower equity hands as you have higher equity hands um, within the strategy that, that you're creating? Right. I would, I would say personally, uh, I would say no. Um, to, to, to be fair, and maybe we can, we can do a little bit of a, a still mining of that argument, uh, the balancing is a precursor to game theory optimal. Uh, I would say uh, the, the difference between balancing, which again, like you said, is essentially uh, splitting between uh, doing a certain thing and also doing the opposite to kind of throw your opponent off, is exactly that. It's, it's sort of like a defensive mechanism that prevents our opponents from um, having a pretty solid understanding of how our game works. And like the typical example I usually give is bluffing. Um, if you go and you play, like, let's say, all those of you who go and play live games, it, you can soon realize that uh, you don't really need to bluff people unless they start, you know, um, uh, looking you up. Like, unless people start to, you know, not, uh, um, uh, excuse me, I, I meant it the, the, the other way. <laughs> so usually, uh, usually you don't have to bluff people uh, unless uh, they start folding too much to your, uh, to your value bets, right? So I've, I've been in games where nobody would ever fold ever, right? And in that situation, you know, why not just like take a value hand 
and you know send it, send everybody to Valdetown, race before the flop, bet big on the flop, bet on the turn, and bet on the river. So in some sense, um, bluffing is a uh, safety net, a defensive mechanism when the value bets no longer work. Right. So when 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 you bet when you bet a player and all of a sudden you see you know what like my 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 bets my value bets are not getting called. So maybe you know I'm too tight. Maybe I'm perceived as too needy. So maybe I, I need to throw in some some bluffs. To me, that's balancing. You know that you throw in uh, different types of bets together with your your normative type of bets so that you can you you can confuse the opponent. The reason why this is different than GTO is that it's not necessarily at the correct proportions, right? I mean, because GTO actually will give you the exact percentages that you need to do things like that. So it's more of more of like a, uh, I guess we can call it like a um, a poor man's uh, GTO, which is also a human's uh, GTO, I would say. Yeah, it's a strategy that's constructed with biases. And Correct. I think one thing that is quite problematic is that while the feedback that you get at the poker table is something. It is not much of anything. Um, and, and that's sort of like a major problem that human beings face. And, and you know, you, you, you described it very simply there of like, oh, my value bets are not getting called, so now I need to start bluffing more, right? But you don't actually know that they have a hand that's worthy of calling the value bet in the first place. So you, 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 you get feedback that villain's folding, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you should alter your strategy fundamentally because you just don't have enough information to work with, which is sort of like, you know, it's a thing of like, uh, I had my associate coach Shu on the podcast recently, and he, he talked about the first time he played live poker and, and you know, he folded like the first six hands and he was like, okay, like I've built my image now. I, I folded six <laughs> hands. So now I'm just going to like play this, whatever hand I get dealt, um, the next time. Right. Because like he assumed that just because he had folded a little bit, now he got to play a hand by, you know, using that fold juice up or however you want right. to want to describe it. So you do have to be careful about the feedback that you're getting when you're playing poker, because it's not always on point. It's not always something that's, yeah, should determine your strategy kind of one way or the other. Um, and I guess there's a natural question here too. You mentioned that balancing is not the same to you as GTO. And I, I would say that's an interesting place to go is like, where does GTO strategy even come from? Like, where does, does it just come from like the poker God sending it down to, to our computer that says, Oh, this is like what you should do in this situation. So like, let's, let's dive into that a little bit of like, where does GTO even come from? Absolutely. And before we, we get to that, I just want to point out that uh, the comment that you mentioned earlier is, is exactly spot on. It's exactly the type of nuance that one needs to, uh, to to put into the discussion when we're talking about this subject. Right? So essentially what you're saying, and you're absolutely correct, this was a, an example of simplification that if not treated carefully, it may easily lead to an oversimplification. You're absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Basically, if you're, we go back to the rock, paper, scissors example, right? Um, say the exploit is knowing that the person you play against or seeing them play 10 times, they've chosen rock, 80% of the time, right? So then the exploit is not to randomize, but to choose paper every time, right? However, um, because we are humans and we are biased and we don't understand randomness quite very well, um, it is possible that that human is randomizing and just threw rock eight out of 10 times, which means we shouldn't change our strategy um, because the, the, the information that we have is not 
worthy is it's not worth anything so anyway, correct one of the no no this is this is beautiful this is beautiful because again it points a very important this is the type of it 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 it, it puts a very important hole in in the theory of when to adjust right so and I need to be very, very careful. And I love that. Like, I need to be careful when I say these things. And, and I try to make that point clear in the book too. When I say things like, you know, we're sitting at a table, we see an opponent and they do X, therefore we should do Y. Really, this is not what I really mean, right? What I, what I, this is the easiest way to create, to create a, a, a picture. But really what I, what I mean is that if we have enough evidence, that evidence can actually be through population tendencies, that evidence could be through databases, that certain games we play, the opponents react in a certain way, then we know that the strategy we started with maybe a couple of years ago is no longer functional, right? Of course, that's a mouthful, right? I mean, that's very difficult for someone to actually have a picture like that. So to, to, to actually answer your question, which I think is actually very relevant to how we can approach those things, you're absolutely correct. If somebody, you know, eight times out of uh, out of ten, they start with rock. That's not enough evidence of anything. However, if we actually go ahead and we interview, and by interview I mean we take a database essentially of a thousand people playing that game, and we see that we have an eighty percent rock, then we know that we have a sample of significance, right? And actually, mathematicians, it's interesting that you mentioned that they have a cutoff, right? I mean, when we when they're, they're dealing with you know, they have fancy names for this. They call them bell curves and they call them like, you know, T distributions and they have all these fancy names. But essentially what they're saying is that if your sample size is small, you cannot trust what you see. And it essentially comes down to this. So all of these adjustments, they really are meta adjustments. <laughs> they're not really adjustments real time. They're meta adjustments to something that we were doing in the past over a long sample, it didn't work over a long sample and we meta adjusting in the present or in the future. Of course, you know, saying it like that, everybody would be completely lost, but by poking the proper holes <laughs> as you should, then we have, I think, uh, the, 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 the better conversation. And this is like, there is an entire book, uh, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned the, the works of, uh, um, Nassim Nicholas Taleb before uh, in, in our conversations, but there is an entire book he wrote, Fooled by Randomness, which I think that every poker player should at some point read, because the idea that randomness is so difficult, so difficult for, for humans to, to, compre to comprehend that um, uh, it's uh, often, often, often impossible to know if something is random or not random in the, in the short run. I mean, I mean, this is why even in the year 2022, there are plenty of people that believe that online poker platforms are rigged based on some sort of arbitrary distribution that they've noticed um, right. for some reason. They're like, oh, this just like never happens or the, the, the odds of this happening are like whatever they, they will say. And uh, I mean, uh, there are plenty of counter arguments to that um, that uh, I don't know if they're worthy of going into but incentives is like the major one. But another, Absolutely. another one is like, what are the odds of like you getting two cards and a board coming out at exactly the cards that it comes out? Um, it, it's mm -hmm. quite low. However, it must happen, right? It, it's a right. thing that like must happen. And, and so there it is. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it, it's incredibly difficult to be random as it's not intuitive. 
Um, there's another book, Rock Break Scissors, that I love and recommend to all of my my students and understanding just how flawed we are at being random um, as as human beings, which is another reason why you need some sort of like if you are going to be applying um, GTO strategies, you need some sort of a foolproof random number generator uh, or an approximation of one that you can use in real time. I know that lots of uh, top level pros will shuffle their chips um, and use that. Or, you know, there's like random.org, you can use that as well. But like, mm-hmm. you, because you, they do that because they can't trust themselves in in figuring out frequencies, like because human beings, again, we're biased and we're not going to actually be random when we do try to do it. Right. And, 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 and I don't know, like, how, have I told you that anecdotal story about, uh, I think it was Robert Fisher who um, the, he was trying to analyze the, the results of the local roulette because he had a theory, a probabilistic theory, and he was using uh, the results of the, of, the, of the local casino from, from the roulette that they, they used to post every, every Sunday night. That was back in the day, like several decades ago. Have I told you that? that story? No, no, no. No. So um, do you want to hear it? Yeah. 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 I mean, okay. we, we can't, we can't like, tee that up for the listener and then not not tell the story we need the story Excuse me. yeah no absolutely so it's actually a, a weird one so he he he's a very well-known statistician and he had a theory i'm not going to go into the details of the theory but it's a very interesting statistical theory and then he wanted to test his theory by random data so what other source could he use like the easiest source he could go into the the, the newspaper and see the results of you know last weekend's data from the roulette so he thought to himself, okay, excellent source of, of data. Let's analyze it. So week after week after week, he analyzes the data. And he says, there's something wrong with my mathematical calculations. Or there's something wrong with the data. Because, I mean, if these are random data, like my theory is wrong. And if these are not random data, um, maybe my theory is correct. But I, I will not know. So he went into the newspaper. To make a long story short, the, the, the journalists confessed. They were like, Oh man, we were so lazy to go down to the casino and record every number. So they made up the numbers. They actually <laughs> made up the numbers. And you know what happens when humans make up the numbers? The there's distribution. A yeah. There's a pattern, exactly. The distribution is no longer there's no longer random. So the results are incredibly biased. So his theory based on that data was was wrong. But actually, when he did it with actually real data, his theory actually was not wrong. It was actually one of the most brilliant theories I guess create, created. And, and the thing is that mathematically, when something is random, we can predict the level of, um, if you will, of canonicity that comes out from specific numbers, right? Or for specific random number generators. You're going to so, have to define the, the term canonicity. Right. Well, exactly. Exactly. So, so basically, uh, that's ex- I, I was vague on purpose here because essentially mathematicians can ask how, o- like, let me give you a very simple example. How often will I see, will I see, let's say, uh, five reds in a row, right, on, on a sample of 100? And, and actually mathematicians can actually do that because they will first tell you how often you can find it on a sample of five. Uh, let's say these are essentially coin flips that'll be about like one out of, out of 30, 32, something like that. And then if you do it like in over a sample of 100, you can somehow, there's a way you can actually append all of these numbers in a nice n- nice mathematical way. And just fun fact, I, I tried to do some uh, some calculations myself. How many times you need to get, um, you need to see somebody getting uh, aces uh, in a row, pocket aces in a row to, to start thinking that uh, the game might be rigged. And I actually, I actually did a poll on that, and most people thought it was about, you know, three times. But uh, 
I did the calculations and what, what, what would you think, like just, just out of curiosity, I mean, humans were not wired to, to deal with those numbers. I mean, I was way off with, with, with my guess, but like how many times you need to see aces in a row so that you can say, you know what, with like almost like 99.99999 confidence that you're being cheated. <laughs> Uh, that's wow. a very difficult um, question. <laughs> it is a difficult question and I have to and answer it without, uh, without really thinking about it. Um, yeah. I would say I, I'm actually not so sure. Um, in live poker, I guess it doesn't really matter in what format of poker since it's just numbers. Yeah, I guess, yeah, maybe maybe the assumption in live poker is not necessarily being cheated, but maybe there's something wrong with a shuffler yeah. or something. Yeah, something that we can, yeah. I would say like, I don't know. I would say five. Maybe? Wow, that's that's perfect. Yeah, that's 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 spot on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's exactly right. Five. I did I did a calculation and and the numbers. You know, like like if you did five in, five in a row, uh, I, I I believe I, I did some calculations and like you know within you know I don't know like the the last uh, ten years or so. I, I forget the exact details. There were, you know, that happened somewhere in the world, you know, a couple of times or something like that. So it's not completely out of the, of the realm of possibility, given yeah. how many games are, be, are being played. But then when we get to more than that, we start like hitting numbers, which are a little bit uh, extravagant to, you know, expect that uh, they the, 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 the will happen in, in, in real life. But yeah. um, well, 99.99 is not 100. Um, that, that, that's true. It's always important <laughs> to bear in mind, too. Um, yeah. Let's. Uh, Good. So lucky guess on my part. Um, good, good. That's excellent guess. Let's let's go back to the topic of GTO because I feel right. as if we've gone somewhere <laughs> off on a tangent. Um don't don't judge us, um CPG li listener listener right now. We're we're just finding our footing here um within Philosophical Friday. Um so yeah, we touched on is balancing the same as GTO. And, and we talked about, no, it, it isn't. And then I, I think the, the follow-up question to that was, um, where does GTO come from? Like right. the, the poker right. gods, did they hand, hand this to us? Like what is going on there when we see, you know, some kind of uh, GTO output and all of these crazy different frequencies for each combo and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, uh, so the, uh, the, the, the short answer is uh, sort of, <laughs> meaning that, uh, and I, we, we talked a little bit about that in, in, in the podcast about how, and I'm not going to go into the details, how John Nash came with the idea that he told us that there is such thing as GTO in every game uh, where certain assumptions are, 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 uh, are, are true, and definitely they are true in poker. And, uh, but what he didn't tell us is how to find it. This is what is known as existential theorem. He told us it exists somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I just, I'm not going to give you the algorithm. And it turns out that uh, algorithmically speaking, this is one of the, of the hardest, uh, hardest problems. So uh, for those of you interested in, in, in complexity, uh, it's, the, uh, it's PPAD, uh, which is, we're not going to, again, we're not going to go into the details. It's almost like, NP complete if it could be characterized as NP complete for, for, for the computer science nerds. Well, no, again, I'm not going to go into details. But sometimes we may, he didn't tell us how to find it. So sometimes, but he told us if somebody gave it to you, you can actually test whether that uh, strategy is GTO. So it's not like it's, it's 
he didn't necessarily in 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 in, in some mystical way. It's just that we it's it's like it's among a million different keys. So the key is there. So if you grab the correct key, you will be able to open the door. You just don't know out of the million keys which one is the one that opens the door. So we start with that. So in some, for all intents and purposes, is God sent, right? In, in in some sense that you know we don't have a way to find it. So what people are doing, and and that's how the solvers actually essentially work. So solvers actually simplify the problem so that they can find a solution. So instead of looking into again, I'm I'm I'm, I'm oversimplifying. Instead of looking into one billion keys, they sort of like in some sense they group the keys together. So they group them in, 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 you know, in groups of a thousand. So they now treat like a thousand keys as a single key. So they sort of like, you know, reduce the problem um, by making it a little bit uh, rough around the edges, so to speak, in order to find a sort of like an approximate solution. So that's kind of like the, the solution works. So they're not going to go and tell you, here is the key. They're going to tell you your key is somewhere around those thousand, thousand keys, something like that. That. So there is an approximation. And how do you test the key itself? That's an excellent question. Yes, that's a, that's a, this is an excellent question. So essentially, okay. So um, the um, to, to 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 be a little bit more uh, more precise with with my metaphor, you're not gonna just like take a thousand keys. You're just gonna take one out of those thousand keys. Uh, let's say from the from the from the from the group, and then out of those, let's call them representative keys, right? So you're not necessarily solving the problem out of the entire space of keys. You're solving the problem out of the representative keys. Yeah. So wait, wait, time out. Let me let me ask another question. Yes. Um, when you say the problem, how do we define what the problem is? Okay. So that's a that's an excellent question. So the problem, fortunately for us. Is, is somewhat well-defined. It is well-defined in a probabilistic manner. That is, uh, machines can actually play million hands with, uh, with themselves, right? So um, when they have a strategy, they can test that strategy by playing billions of times against each other and then keeping score. If the score is positive, then we call that a victory. If the, if the score is negative, we call that a loss. So there, the problem is, even though it's not well-defined in a single hand, is well-defined probabilistically. And that was the key idea of Nash. Like uh, the, the key idea of Nash is that we can talk about an entire probabilistic setting from choosing the strategy all the way to how we, we evaluate the game itself by just repeating it over, over and over. So there's like a, a huge probabilistic setting there. Yeah, and there, there's a dependency too on the inputs, right? That you Correct, and put we'll get to that. Other. Yeah. Correct, yes. So the inputs are, are incredibly important, right? So, but uh, what, what we're doing, because here, here's an, another thing, right? For instance, uh, in the in the theoretical setting of Nash, Nash tells you that there is a an optimal strategy, but when you consider the full spectrum, and I mean literally the full spectrum of um, likelihoods, right? The full spectrum of how often you're going to play uh, X hand versus Y hand, and also the full spectrum of bet sizes. That means it considers the entire spectrum. Uh, specifically, when you bet like a, a 1.32576 big blinds, which obviously you cannot do in every game, right? I mean, you cannot play 1.2, like you can only do increments, increments of one. So immediately we're, we're losing some information. That's what the metaphor, you're taking a thousand keys 
and you represent it with one is supposed to mean, right? I mean, you take all of the bet sizes from, let's say, one point, uh, all the way from one, all the way to one, one point four nine 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 nine, and you call that one, one, one big blind. And then you take all the bet sizes from, let's say, one point five zero zero, one point five, all the way to two point four nine nine nine, and you call that two. So the the two blinds is going to be your key that represents all the other keys in between. And similarly, you take a percentage like, let's say, 70%, and 70% is meant to represent all the percentages somewhere between, let's say, 69 and 71, or something like that. So that immediately shrinks down your problem down to fewer instances, because you don't consider all the, all the possibilities. And of course, I'm oversimplifying, because computers, especially with percentages, computers can go deeper. Like, even though they cannot split big blinds, they can split percentages. So... Um, but even computers have to, at some point, draw a line. They cannot go like all the way to like a trillion decimal places because if they right. go to trillion decimal places, the problem becomes incredibly complex for them to solve. So at some point, they will also stop. But I'm just yeah. I'm simplifying because so, like within one and two, there are an infinite number of numbers, right? Like exactly. No, exactly, exactly. And what what does that mean for us? Like, are we going to have to look? at infinitely many places well nash tells you yes if you really want to find the proper gto you have to look at infinite number of places and and some of these places you know like you may not be able to find it just given that there's exactly infinitely yeah. many so so immediately we're screwed <laughs> exactly exactly so for the for the perfect uh uh for the perfect uh solution we're screwed so so now comes the question that you ask what is the input you know like now now, what are we, um, where do we make the cut? That's one question. And what are the inputs? Because again, another, another way to simplify, um, which is how a lot of the modern solvers work, is by assigning a range, right? So usually sure. we assign a range. That is already, a, I want to call it a violation <laughs> of, of the freedom that uh, the, the assumptions require, right? I mean, we need to have perfect freedom. So the opponent can theoretically can have any range to start with. Of course, if we allow the opponent to have any range, then the game will become exponentially hard to, to solve. Uh, so we make some assumptions and already that's some sort of like a, a sacrifice. That being said, and this is the important part, the game can be optimal after a certain point. For instance, in a lot of situations, poker becomes rock, paper, scissors, right? Let's say that you're on the river and your opponent either goes all in or they check. That's actually a problem that can actually be very easy to solve because there's only two realistic scenarios that they're doing there. Either they go all in or they check. So the game becomes very much like rock, paper, scissors. So from that point on, and I mean, literally starting at that point, starting at that point, the game, like starting on the river, the game can be solved. Sure. And Does it make sense? Yeah, it makes it makes sense. And moving backward, you know, you increase uh, the complexity just exponentially, sort of at each each different phase um, of the game. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Correct. So so when we're putting a when we're putting a range to our opponent, we're saying we want we we're not solving the game. We're solving the game after our opponent has been assigned that range. Sure. So we're solving it after, and that, of course, we're kind assumes, of changing the problem, right? Changing the like, problem, correct. Yeah, correct. We're, we're changing the problem to um, something more manageable, I, I guess. And okay, so you, go on. 
Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, no, 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 that's yeah. it. No, that's perfect. No, no, that's exactly right. I mean, and and I, I, I love interruptions, right? I mean, that's the, that's the only way we know we, we, we engage actually in 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 the conversation. So that's I tell my students all the time. You please interrupt me. You know, it's it's important. You know. <laughs> It's a skill I've I've developed through podcasting and having people on where it's like, oh, there's something interesting there. I need to interrupt them and, and ask about that because if I don't, it goes away, right? Straight out of my brain and we never circle back to it. Exactly. No, I agree. I agree. I agree hundred percent. So and uh, um so that's that's a lot of um uh, a, 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 a lot of nuance that uh that that goes into into the uh, in, into the solvers, and and I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, I I haven't looked at the at the source code, so I'm not exactly 100% exactly what is going on into into the algorithm. I would be very interested if you know, like a um, some 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 like a um, computer engineer, you know, let us know at some point exactly what goes into those solvers without obviously you know violating their NDA agreements and things like that. Whatever they, they can tell us, I would be very interested in knowing exactly how. What what kind of assumptions? I I I, I know already they they have to make assumptions, right? I mean they have to make simplifications, approximations. I just don't know exactly what kind of approximations go into it. I'm sort of like guessing. That that's another interesting part of it too. Is like because obviously that information is proprietary to them, mm -hmm. but also right. from the user perspective, we're kind of trusting the output without really knowing what's going into creating that output, which. Um, you can see the potential for bad things happening just starting from that perspective. That's exactly correct. Exactly correct. Yes, and 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 something that you you may find interesting and uh, and <clears throat> and let us know also in the in the comments if you if if you also the listener you find that interesting. We occasionally want to talk about some of the polls that we uh, we ask our audiences, and I, I had that poll uh, for <clears throat> on Twitter. Do you believe you truly understand how solvers work? And uh, uh, the, the answers were yes, the moving pieces, honestly, not really. And about like, you know, 90% said, honestly, not really. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I will count myself uh, into that category, right? Because again, unless I, I see the source code, I don't know exactly what approximations are being made. Um, and, I, and I find them, find them uh, very relevant. Uh, do the results surprise you in any way, Brad? 90, 10. Small sample, but um, no, it, they don't really surprise me. I think that you know, poker players, poker players, and the people to respond to your poll are probably higher level. And I think that, like, on the opposite side of like you know, Dunning Kruger is like under basically the more you know about poker, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And from that sense, I think there's just a high level of self awareness for those kind of human beings to recognize that they don't actually know kind of what's going on. If, if they think about the question, um, yeah, they meditate on the question. They, they invest some cognitive energy in thinking about it. Uh, you know, I have like ideas and theories about how the solver works. It's something that actually matters quite a bit in the training space, like to me specifically, because, you know, ultimately the ultimate place that you want to be as a poker player would be, you know, being like 
a human solver who's solving these problems kind of in real time. And to be a human solver, you kind of need to understand at least the variables that it's taking into consideration and like what's actually going on without knowing exactly what's going on. Maybe one day, maybe one day down the road for some like fun project, we can try to make our own solver um, just to kind of see like what the outputs are. And, And I think actually that's probably a pretty good way to understand better understand what's going on in the solver is to try to figure out and make your own. Um, because I guess ultimately there are only a number of variables that it can be considering. And so mm-hmm. from that perspective, it is something that I think, yeah, can be engineered. Correct. You're absolutely correct. And if I remember correctly, there was actually a, um, I think it was Will Tipton that, uh, he mentioned that in his book about, uh, uh, heads up, no limit. He had a similar, he was, um, there was a, a software I played with several years ago. I do not remember the name on top of my head. I can probably find it in my notes, but it was exactly what you basically describe it. You're basically going through the tree and you create essentially a, a mini uh, GTO strategy for, for specific, specific situations. I mean, usually you start from the turn all the way to the river, but, but it would be very interesting. It, it's actually very interesting to see what happens uh, when you, uh, when you do that. And also, um, Bill Chen did that in the mathematics of poker when he was playing the, the famous ace-king-queen game where there's only ace in the deck, a king in the deck, and a queen in the deck, and there's two players, and you get two out of these three cards. Each player gets one. You know, the highest card wins, and there's only one round of betting. And he obviously solved that game perfectly. So people have tried to do similar things, either with toy examples or with shorter versions, not, not what the, the computers are doing today, which are much more. And and I want to be clear too. I I think there is value. So interestingly, as it relates to like solvers producing solutions, like even if the solutions are not perfect, I I think there is value in producing the solutions and there is value in going through the process of creating the software and, you know, getting feedback and then iterating over time, because that's really how you make a thing better is by getting, getting data and getting feedback and then iterating. So like, even if, solvers are released that aren't perfect. I think that's still like, okay. If you know, the end goal is to iterate and improve, um, at each kind of stage of the process. So yeah, I don't, I don't want to think like people have like calling out any solver company for releasing like a a crappy product or whatever it is, because you got to start somewhere and, you know, just I've learned that starting somewhere and then going from there is oftentimes the best place to uh, it's, it's often the best way to come to some sort of um, conclusion or get a little bit closer to uh, we'll use a word that you we started out the show uh, the truth of the <laughs> no, 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 with capital T the, 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 the baby the, personal, the, the, baby, the, little, one, yeah. the baby truth um, we'll definitely get to that yeah and uh, um, yeah, I, I agree 100%. And just for the record, I just want to say that I also uh, polled recently, you know, uh, uh, people on Twitter and, you know, today solvers, uh, the question was, or more like a statement, true or false statement, today solvers are theoretically exploitable, say by a future more refined solver. And about 77% said that's a true statement versus a false statement, to, to, to which I agree. I mean, you know, again, I mean, we, we, we know from, from the... Uh, from the math from the math of it, I mean, I just happen to know that because you know it's like it, it, it's my field. Like I, we know that there is no way we can actually get to to the real answer. So whatever we get is definitely an approximation. So every time we have an approximation, there's no reason to believe that somebody else won't come with a with a better approximation. 
and, and a more practical question is or thought is like will any of these strategies actually be like executable ever or is it more an exercise of like pitting one <laughs> solver against another solver you know exactly yeah well um that's this is an excellent question uh and uh I, I don't usually do that, but I'm going to try to answer a, 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 a question with, with, with another question. And uh, I, I'm sure you've been following some of these uh, matches that happened probably like over the summer, some pretty big names battling some other big names, you know, uh, uh, Doug Polk versus Daniel Negreanu was one example. Phil Galfin versus the rest of the world is another example, you know, doing heads up battles. And uh, solvers came up uh, a lot. In, 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 in situations like that. So like, again, one can say that would probably, if there is like any, any time where a, a solver can shine is when you use it against another like excellent player, a world-class player versus a world-class player. Um, to, to which the question that I have is probably not what you expect. Why would any of these guys accept that challenge? <laughs> the so, head, the heads, up, heads up challenges themselves? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, I think... It's human beings are drawn to competitions that can prove that one player is superior than another player. And I think it's a quest for prestige. It's a quest for challenging oneself. Um, I just spoke about this when I had Terrence Chan on the podcast uh, from Daniel Negreanu's side of how um, ultimately the conclusion that I came to as it related to like Daniel accepting the challenge against Doug Polk um, was to me, I find it to be a fairly admirable thing to do because it was uh, testing and it involved a lot of growth that he experienced as a player. I, I have to imagine that he grew um, massively through that challenge, just learning uh, about sort of just the, the new wave of um, online poker and heads up poker specifically. So like, yeah, I think, those are self-improvement prestige are ultimately the drivers of accepting those challenges i don't necessarily think that money is at the top of the list even though i guess you could make the argument that doug challenging daniel um his major reward was financial um, whereas i think daniel's major reward was uh, learning skills and just upgrading his ability to play poker, which over the long run, um, yeah, can be a plus EV investment. For sure. And, 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 and to their credit, uh, so uh, the both players, and I, and I remember in particular, I mean, many people wanted to, to ask Daniel Legrand because he went there as, as the underdog. Why would you do that? Right. And, and his answer was pretty much exactly that. He said, you know, I can afford it. And I think it's an excellent opportunity for me for me to improve, right? It's an excellent opportunity for me to see uh, what uh, is at the top of, you know, uh, today's games and how I can I can uh, utilize it to add more, uh, you know, uh, arrows to my quiver, essentially. So get get a better player. Yeah, and uh, I know this is like we're again straying off the GTO topic here, but I'm I'm all, I've always been a big fan of trying to learn and reflect on things that happen while you're playing poker. Because you can make many mistakes that, if you reflect on them, can make you money over the course of your poker career. And we get so focused in on the short-term aspects of poker that we kind of lose sight of the long-term aspects of poker. And I've done like plenty of personal challenges myself, like playing every single hand preflop or V-pipping within a certain parameter of rules. 
And what I find to be quite interesting about those challenges, when you sort of like remove a move from your arsenal and you're forced to play in a certain way that is not intuitive, that you don't have a ton of experience with, um, you can just learn so many valuable lessons that you can apply to your game holistically that I think it's something that poker players don't often do enough of um, is do going through something that say costs you a thousand dollars and reflecting on that situation, extracting the valuable takeaways and then applying that to your game moving forward can be worth more than a thousand dollars or much more than a thousand dollars over the course of your poker career. Um, which is to say that, yeah, you can make money from your mistakes if you are reflecting and thinking about them in that way. Exactly. The, the, the long run versus the, the, the short run. Yeah. And, uh, and that also reminds me of uh, Tommy Angelo's approach, right? Where he always says, you know, when you sit at a table, maybe you can uh, focus on on one aspect of the game. And today you're gonna you're gonna be working on that. Like like for example, you alluded to, right? I mean, you, you just pick a thing and maybe a thing that you haven't been doing before, right? And you just try to to try it out. I think combining these two ideas, uh, one can actually improve exactly the same way you go at the gym and you try a new move and see how does that work out? You know, like maybe it's not good for, for, for my body. It puts extra pressure on a very weak spot that I have, or maybe it's good because it puts a lot of pressure on the weak spot that I have. I mean, you, you, you don't know exactly how that's going to play out until you, un, until you try it. So yeah, always experiment as it relates to poker, just like always be willing to experiment and understand that through that experimentation, maybe a bad thing happens, but it can be plus EV um, over over the, the course of your life. Um, so- But to answer your question before, because I didn't, I mean, as I was jokingly, you know, like making another another question, you know, so the, the, the question is again, so what are the, you know, all of these, again, try to steel man a little bit the argument uh, of, of the solvers, right? I mean, mm -hmm. what are their, their purposes, you know, a, a, a solver uh, versus, like, are they good just a solver versus another solver? Um, I can think of a few things that can be, uh, can be very useful. Uh, one, obviously, I mean, the, the obvious um, argument, and this argument is not new, that argument came from uh, Bill Chen, like something like 20 years ago. When he was uh, again, and for for all of those who 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 know the stats and they keep records of everything, forgive me for for, for not getting the dates right. But um, come he, after he Duncan, take put him off, in please, Twitter please. jail. Yeah, <laughs> I welcome that. I tell that to my students all the time. You know, <laughs> see uh, if you can find so, the key to this, Duncan. That, that's exactly right. So uh, something like twenty years ago, he was at a final table with some very strong players. You know, like Phil Ivy. Uh, and, 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 and the likes. And he said, I mean, I know I'm outclassed, right? So the best I can do is basically lock in some sort of like fair share. That was basically his argument. So I'm going to try to play as close to, again, we didn't have solvers at the time, but I mean, Bill Chen has been looking into game theory optimal almost before anything else. Again, uh, poker historians probably will correct me on that, but I, that's one of the first people that I, I knew in the literature working on that stuff. Yeah, probably working on it before it was even coined as game theory optimal, because I think, right. did, didn't the coinage come like in the mid 2000s? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's already like, you know, mathematicians have been using, have been using that, but I mean, they, it's not, you know, officially. As like it applied in, in, to, to poker, poker. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So again, poker historians will, will know much better. Uh, I don't have the answers to those things. But, um, but the interesting thing that he said, and I, I believe he, he mentioned that in an MIT lecture, uh, is that uh, basically 
his approach was, I want to lock in profits because I'm outclassed. So there is some value, even in many GTO situations, to lock in profits when you think you're outclassed and you cannot leave the table. Like I, I often usually say that Alex, my heroine from the book, uh, when they ask her, you know, what do you do when everybody is at the table is good? What, what type of GTO strategy do you use? And Alex is like, yeah, I just leave the table. You know, so that's my GTO strategy, you know, just leave the table. And, uh, or, you know, if she's practicing, she stays there to practice. But if she's trying to make money, she just leaves the table. Um, and uh, so if you cannot leave the table, uh, GTO can be very useful. That's one way uh, to, to look at things. Another thing is that um, it is sometimes useful outside of the table, not real time, to sort of know what does the... Um, what does the approximation to GTO, because that's what we have, tell us about what the fair price is? Because that actually gives us a perspective, right? I mean, if the, like, for example, if the GTO is telling us that the fair price is about, like, let's say, $3, and we're trying to shoot for $9, we might be a little bit way too off, right? I mean, we might be, the risk that we're taking might be a little bit higher than we are anticipating. So the, the GTO can actually tell us exactly what the fair price is in situations like that. And I, and I think the, the, the example that many people were surprised by is that how most solvers, they were playing monotone boards, namely making smaller bets. Like most people thought the correct strategy was like bet, bet big because again, we wanna charge our opponents. But it turns out that the, 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 the machines realize that again, the, the risk reward is more suitable to smaller bets. And something like that, even if, the, even if you know, like our frequencies are not optimal when we're betting boards like this, we can still learn from that and make closer to proper sizes. We can learn, we can learn sizes, we can learn things like that, that although they're not gonna make us GTO players, at least they're gonna give us a feel that can give us a sense of what works and what doesn't in certain in certain spots. Awesome. Yeah. So thing. yeah, it's, it's looking at what the solvers are like recommending for sizing specifically, um, some That's sort cool. of baseline foundational uh, map that mm -hmm. that you can use. Um, now, a follow up question here is: Can the game be beaten without solvers? Can poker is poker a winnable game if you're not using solvers? Um, I think. Everybody Why don't we ask Twitter about this? Yeah, what, what does Twitter say? <laughs> so let's see what Twitter said about this. That was a poll that I, again, uh, I, I think I should change my handle to the MathDR asks versus ask the MathDR because I'm asking more questions than I have answers to. Yeah. Uh, but this is one poll that I did uh, back in June. And actually that got a, a decent uh, sample. Uh, I always compare it to, uh, to my audience, of course. Uh, and the question was, let me see if I have it here properly. Do you think the game can still be beaten on feel alone? Uh, so that, that was the question. It was a simple yes or no question. Uh, Brad, what do you think uh, the response was? Uh, <laughs> uh, the response. So now, now this is like a sort of like a meta question. Meta uh, question. What do you think of the population? What do you think the population I, thinks? I think... I don't know. I don't know the answer. You know, I, yeah. I I'm not confident either way. Um, okay. I so you can I see it suspect, go both ways. I I I can I can see it go both ways. I suspect the answer, the feedback would be yes, but again, I, I'm not not sure. Yes, I I actually I actually thought that uh, you know many people 
I would say no. I thought that the no would win, but you're actually correct. The yes did win by a small margin, 53% to 47%. So it's, uh, it's almost, uh, you know, uh, there you go. That's see, that's I'm on the fence because it's so close. It's very close. It's uh, that's that's correct. So it's it's very 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 close. So people are indeed, uh, you know, uh, torn about this. At least I should say, uh, people who who follow me that is, uh, and there's there's always bias. Um, but I, I I think it 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 shows us that a, a lot of people think that's that's possible. But it's also interesting to see that a lot of people think that that's not possible, right? And I. And uh, what, what do you like? Let's let's start with that. What do you think? Um, why do you think people who said no said no, and why do you think who people said yes said yes? Like, what do you think they're seeing? Um, the simple sides of the argument. I think. Uh, wow. So, as somebody that's like firmly in the yes camp, I would say the yes, the yes people. Try to answer the no if you're in the yes camp. It makes it yeah, try, try, try to answer the no. Um, it's, it's either, I guess, two segments. One would be people who are not, uh, people who are, for lack of a better word, they're just undereducated on what solvers are and sort of see them as like, you know, the, the poker god. Um, I think there's that, that camp. And then there's probably uh, another camp of math-inclined human beings that are quite analytical who have used solvers specifically to beat the game and cannot beat the game without a solver existing. So I would say those are probably the two camps um, and probably the two perspectives that, you know, are say no, uh, just a human being that like, for whatever reason, um, could not beat poker or struggled to beat poker or had a low win rate and then invested in solvers. And then over time saw their win rate go up. So they got feedback that said like, Oh wow, this thing has like really elevated my game. Therefore, you know, because we're human beings, again, working on a sample size of one, our own life experience leads them to say, yeah, you can't beat poker because, uh, you, you can't beat poker without a solver just because I couldn't do it. That makes sense. How, how, how about the yes camp? Um, I think the yes camp is pretty simple. It's somebody that has beaten poker over time without using a <laughs> solver um, because they are, they, they are exactly uh, an example of the fact that, you know, the game can be beaten. Right. Uh, with, without using solvers. And also, too, I would say that like the S camp is much easier to um, to defend because all it takes is one person right, doing right. it to to defend it, you know? So since I'm also on the yes camp uh, for basically the same reasons you just described, and uh, uh, the, uh, let, me, let me just try to also steal mine a little bit the no camp to the best of my abilities. So, uh, and, and try to paint them in... Uh, in 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 a, in a better color if possible and again that's that's difficult but i'm going to do my best like one of the reasons i could see somebody saying no which is very similar to basically what you said is that they're playing at incredibly difficult games so not necessarily trying gto but like just being on on really difficult games like being on a difficult game that you cannot win being outclassed or being at a similar level as your opponents because again poker is not a plus ev game poker is a negative ev game as a whole, right? I mean, uh, negative sum is what mathematicians are calling it, like which means uh, money is taken out in the form of rake. So all else, all players being equal, everybody loses money at the table. So maybe, maybe they cannot beat the rake. Maybe nobody, no, nobody at their table uh, does because they are of similar 
similar skill level. <laughs> What's interesting is that it's such a difficult thing to prove by virtue of needing a massive sample size against Correct. the same configuration of players um, over, over time. Correct. You know? Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's exactly right. And, and, and this is incidentally, Brad, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because again, people who understand randomness, and I would say, again, I'm, I'm bringing uh, uh, Taleb as an example here because I consider him one of the uh, most credible critics of um, the of the way sometimes uh, mathematics is applied, applied math is applied to the world, is, is, is exactly that, a critique on how one should be very, very careful making inferences from what is actually small samples, right? So, or be very, very careful finding patterns where none exist. So we have to be incredibly, incredibly careful. And of course, I mean, his arguments go and say that what you guys think they're normally distributed, like basically nice and curvy and, you know, most population in the middle and then very few people are outliers, doesn't apply to everything. Like, for example, it doesn't apply to wealth. Wealth is not very nicely distributed. It's like you have complete outliers that, you know, shift the averages and that's why people are using median instead of anyway. But like, his point is that we, 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 have, to be, we have to be careful. And, and, I, and I totally agree. Like, we have to be incredibly careful when we're making, when we're making inferences. Um, but uh, the um, the point here also the um, that the games can be can be very difficult is is something that can can you know twist somebody's judgment because if you're playing against like you know if if, if you're sitting at a nine nine handed table and you play against eight better players I mean feel is not going to help you that's that's for sure right because again they're they're, 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 they're better. Huh. Um, we have to, we, then we'd have to go down the rabbit hole of like, what is right. feel and intuition, which is like its own separate conversation, I think. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Let's, let's add that as a topic. If anybody's interested, because that'd be an interesting topic. Well, I'm interested. So I, I, I am too. I, I, I am too, but I'm not <laughs> that's all, that's you. all we need, Duncan, just me and you, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's what matters most. So for those of you who are still wondering why these, like, you know, uh, conversation started, that, that's exactly how it started. You know, we, we ran out of, in all of those tangents all the time. So we decided, you know what, maybe some of that stuff might be useful. Sure. But Brad, I, I do have another poll because that's, that's all I do in my spare time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I have another poll as it relates to uh, difficult games. And, um, and you, you mentioned that a little bit earlier, you, you mentioned cheating online, but um, I was mostly interested in the form of RTAs, real-time assistance. And the question was, are you comfortable playing online with the existence of RTAs, real-time assistance uh, technology? So are you comfortable playing online with the existence, existence of essentially, you know, GTO technology? Uh, to answer the question, no, I'm not comfortable. Um, and, and I guess there are a lot of other follow-up questions that kind of stem from that. Is that uncomfortability enough to not play online? I think is probably mm -hmm. the, the follow-up there. Um, and the answer to that is I, I'm also not so uncomfortable that I'm unwilling to play online, uh, knowing, even knowing full well that such things do exist. Very good. That 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 makes sense to me. Yes. And uh, what would you guess uh, the the distribution on that one was? It was a yes or no question. Smallish sample. Uh, I would say mostly. <laughs> oh man. So actually, let me just give a percentage yeah. percentage here because I think that's maybe a better way to do it. So distribution, um, probably 
83% uncomfortable? Yeah, again, that's what I was uh, was expecting too. And again, it could be a, it could be a lot of noise, and it's also a small sample. So it was this one specifically came fifty fifty. It's only sixteen votes, so it's like it's it, it's a small one. Yeah, that that one came came more like in 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 the middle. So some people are still, and again, I mean, one can speculate. You know, if you are playing online, I mean, again, it's it's difficult to answer. Uh, uh, you know, no, because again. <laughs> I mean, you're playing online and you just don't want to feel bad for, for yourself. I mean, again, humans, we're, we, we, we tend to be, you know, uh, we tend to be biased in, 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 in so many ways. So, but, uh, but yeah, that's the reason why I mentioned this poll is because I think it's related to, to that question. You know, like if, if people are um, perhaps in, in difficult games, then uh, they start thinking, you know what, maybe maybe GTO is, is my way out. Or if you will, non-GTO methods like feel or, you know, intuition and things like that are not going to be enough for me to, to help me. I mean, one thing that jumps sort of, I take some solace in is that like, because the win rates aren't going to be massive by deploying said strategy, the variance will be quite high as well. And when you're talking about just, you know, some random human off the street, that's like, oh, let me see this thing and fire it up and start like following the the map that's getting created in front of your eyes. You know, there's still gonna be a lot of variance and human bias will still come into play and like risk tolerance, risk aversion, all of these things um, will still factor in. So at least at least that's happening. And hopefully, hopefully the online poker platforms, the security departments, all of that stuff, you know, they are taking some sort of measures to track and uh, filter out real-time assistance throughout, uh, you know, however they, they create their protocols. I would say that's probably one of the major priorities or maybe the major priority of all online poker platforms. Um, is in recognizing that someone is using real-time assistance and then getting them out of the pool as quickly as possible and not letting them back in the pool, right? I think because um, it could be something along the lines of an existential crisis of online poker kind of disappearing. And I would say that there's you know billions of reasons why the powers that be don't want that to happen. And so they're properly incentivized to tackle the problem. And you know I happen to know some people who are running platforms. And I happen to know people who are thinking about these problems very uh, at a very high level. And so I don't know that there will be a perfect solution, but I do know that there are problems that are being actively thought about and measures are being taken to um, eliminate real-time assistance as much as possible. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's always, always uh, good to hear. And, and that, that, that actually brings us to one of the the questions that we wanted to ask in the end, you know, are um, are online games compromised? And uh, I just want to add to that some personal experience. I had been, um, I, I used to play uh, online. I, I don't, I no longer do that. I no longer play online heads up. I used to play a lot. And um, I, I've played against a lot of bots, I, I have to say. Like, it, it's clear, you know, there, there's certain, I mean, again, poker players, who, who play a lot, you know, when, when somebody is like always there at, at all times, it doesn't matter, you know, like, you, you know, you know, when uh, is a bot, you know, like ne ne never till then you go to their, uh, another thing too, like you go into the, the database 
and they literally have the same like bluffing hands, you know, like they have like the bluffing like seven four suited, you know, like as as the you know the the, the four bed bluffs or, or or what have you. Um, so there are ways for for people to know about um, over over long samples. I mean, we're talking about like. Uh, I, I, I guess some of these guys I had like close to like 20,000 hands. So, right. And this was yeah, lim so, limited data points and the course. poker platforms themselves can have many more data points Correct. like that they collect over time to analyze and, and give them feedback much more quickly than, you know, we could as humans. Correct. But, uh, you know, just, I just want to put that little anecdotal uh, aside. Uh, what is your, your verdict? What is your, your take? Like are online games uh, uh, today compromised? It really depends on how the, you know the definition of, the word of compromise. I love it. Yeah, right? that's what we hear. That's what we call philosophy. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the answer is undeniably yes. Through and how, then, how would you define compromised? Right. So, if it's anything, it, like basically anything that's not available to everyone, like at the same time. Um, I, I would say that's like my, would be my definition of like, you know, in, in live poker, it's very clear what's happening, right? It's me versus you. I have my wits, my brain, the chips in front of me, and we're collecting data points and making decisions. And so and I have my hair. So you have your wits, yeah, I have my hair, we're battling exactly. it out. <laughs> we're battling it out, right? And we could go on like the ethical uh, rabbit hole of like HUDs and or HUDs, heads up displays as well as like real-time assistance and, and all of these sort of things. But like to me, if the game is compromised when players are using something that not everybody has access to in the moment while they're playing the game. Um, and that way, I guess, yeah, the, the games have to be compromised, right? Because people are using preflop charts. These are like accepted ways um for again i don't know where the committee is that determines whether a thing is like ethically acceptable or unacceptable um but you know before before the doug polk and negranu thing i i didn't think that like using preflop charts was like acceptable but this is just based on my judgment as a human being um while playing poker um but i learned through that that it was like amongst high level heads up players it's like generally accepted um that people use these charts so anyway i guess so i guess in that way like the, the games have to be compromised right it's just a, at what level are they compromised and what kind of edge are the tools that compromise the game giving the other players um and again it, it's really hard to say i know this is like i guess that maybe this is a perfect title for this show is uh you know philosophical fridays because like it's <laughs> none of these que this question seems like it's easy to answer yeah exactly it, it's not really easy to answer um but yes i would say they are compromised and it's just from there it's just figuring out like at what level they're compromised and at what level is like an acceptable um comp comp uh, i don't even know what the right word to you at what level is it acceptable that the games are compromised yeah, that's that that's an excellent question and i think you know uh i i i, I usually say that uh the, the definition of of misunderstanding uh that, that was a realization okay it came to me when i was a, a teenager you know like you have all of this teenage drama right and it's like why is everybody fighting everybody so i was trying to 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 make sense of of, of the world and 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 one of the definitions of misunderstanding i gave is that uh you know if you have alex and bob 
Alex does something to Bob that Bob finds kind of offensive in, in some way, but he doesn't say anything. So uh, Alex doesn't think she did anything because Bob didn't say anything. Now Bob, you know, retaliates and does something to Alex. Alex is like, hey, you started it. Bob is like, no, you started it. And then all of a sudden we have that, that misunderstanding. And, and again, it sounds exactly like teenage drama, right? That, that's because where it originated. But I mean, that idea of teenage drama, if you think about it, applies to the conversations. Like how many times have we seen people fighting? Oh, there's too many bots or there's not enough bots. Or it's like, I mean, nobody say there's not, I mean, people who own the, the websites will say there's not enough bots, you know? And then <laughs> people are fighting, you know, HUD should be allowed, HUD should not be allowed. And I think the reason why it's because people are making different assumptions. Like most of the most of the disagreements start because people start exactly like what do we define as compromised? What is right and what isn't right? And I think it is very important um, now more than ever, and uh, not just in places like Twitter, to have conversations like having conversations which can be more than 140 characters because we have to define words like that. You know, what does it mean to be compromised, and and how willing uh, is the player pool? you know, to uh, withstand some of these, you know, restrictions or not restrictions, you know, and then how people, people feel, feel, feel comfortable. And, uh, and, uh, you know, we, we don't necessarily, you know, some people will argue otherwise. Some people say that we need government regulation. We don't need argument, government regulation. We don't necessarily need a government regulation, but we need some sort of like regulation. The question is, well, how will that regulation happen? Will it happen from within? Will it happen for the players essentially pushing for that? Because the players also have a lot of power. The players are the customers, right? So if the players are complaining and they sit out of those games, you know, the, the, the companies have to, to, to make adjustments. So I think these are important conversations. And, and, and people, uh, players in particular, should, should, should vote with their actions. Like, you know, with, you know, and, and I know that because, again, I've been, I've, I've been very vocal about that. You know, like I've... I've, I've written articles and I've contacted, uh, um, and, and to their credit, I mean, I, I have contacted ACR before about an, an issue that I found with Eureka in, in, in Heads Up Games. And we had like a very big discussion, which then later became public. And it was, uh, I, I don't know if you know about that, but there's been an article, they, they actually changed the entire uh, Rake's structure. We had a, a conversation with uh, their their CEO Phil Phil Maggie, and I know he to some people he, he's a controversial figure, but to, to his credit, you know, he he spoke to me uh, on the phone. I gave him the data. We we had a conversation. He changed uh, the, the 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 Rake structure because I told him that you know it's unsustainable, like for um for, for you know the uh, for 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 certain stakes. And I think conversations like that, like uh, players should have these conversations either with other players or with the the powers that be yeah i don't know what you think about that well i mean i i i guess from from there I, you know i give credit to phil Nagy for changing his stance with when he's given extra information i think that's always a sign of somebody that like just somebody who's open to analyzing and solving problems um that they may not have seen before i i think like I don't. So I would say that a lot of the rules, and one one issue that I have is a lot of the rules given that poker platforms um, use are created by non poker players uh, or non high level poker players that like seem from a business perspective like a great idea, but in practice are just really awful. 
Um, that I think is what leads to like a lot of problems where, you know, they're not really, they're not forming some sort of committee of like respectable high level poker players to give feedback on whatever it is that they're trying to do. I mean, you know, we had this whole thing, uh, years back, um, the whole, you know, fuck the pros sort of mantra, you know, I've, um, had discussions with, uh, people who are, heads of poker platforms who have, you know, basically told me kind of straight to my face, like, oh, we, you know, we don't actually want players like you playing on the platform. You know, we're targeting like the recreational players. Um, we, we're not targeting um, high level players that like actually play poker for a living and, and will take money out of the the player pool, which that to me just shows sort of a lack of understanding of the ecosystem and how poker works and the drivers behind even beginning to play poker in the first place. Um, so yeah, I, I think that like some sort of committee of, of trusted people, if you're a poker platform to ask them these questions and, and like have conversations and discussions about the best way to solve these types of problems and to better understand what's going on. Because when you're in something, it's a lot different than when you're outside of it, kind of looking at it. Um, so yeah, I guess that's, I don't even remember the question I've been talking so long at this point. No, 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 no. That, that's, that, that, that's spot on, right? I mean, again, the idea is that if that's, if discussions are the, uh, are the way to go, basically we started our online games compromise, right? And how, how essentially can this be resolved? And I was, I was asking you, you know, do you think that you know having these discussions are important? And and you raised a very important point that uh, people from the inside need to also be poker players. Which again, if you think about it, that's a similar point to when, when people are discussing politics. Sometimes you know what uh, um, some people will, will tell you is that the um, the uh, the lawmakers are predominant predominantly lawyers. So that means they're not necessarily representing the population equally. You don't have many engineers, you don't have many scientists, you don't have many workers there, you know, so that they can necessarily express their, you know, their point of view, which is, which is very similar. Right. Uh, If we look at like the national football league, right. They have a rules committee that is comprised of like current and former coaches and players and like human beings right. who have lived within those rules over time. Uh, and I just, I do want to make one thing clear here. I do, I do believe fundamentally that the platform is ultimately responsible for everything that happens within their own ecosystem. And so if there is real time assistance, it is on the platform to begin to solve that problem right? Like grimming was a, a big deal years back. Um, I, I'm sure you playing lots of heads up poker are familiar with, you know, somebody basically paying their small blind, um, and then leaving before they pay their big blind. And if you do this enough times over the course of a year, it adds up to quite a substantial sure. amount of money. Absolutely. And, and, you know, a, a lot of the platforms will say like, we're trying to get rid of predatory behavior. Well, it's on you to do a better job of, not letting predatory behavior be an option for the players in the first place, right? It's a process problem and the players are not, um, you know, we're, we're there to play, play poker. And when you set up loopholes, you, the players will take advantage of it. I promise you, no matter what the loophole is. And so it's on you to solve these problems and not to create some sort of like list, um, from on high of commandments to follow when you play on their platform. Just don't let us have that as an option and um the experience is just much better over time 
Yeah, I, I, exactly. And the reason why I'm smiling, by the way, is because again, you say loopholes, and all I'm thinking is that this this situation is perfectly analogous to 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 Congress and 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 the lawmakers, right? I mean, if you create loopholes, or if you allow for loopholes, let's say in the taxation system, people will take care of it, they take advantage of it, right? It's exactly the same the same idea. Of course they right? will. Yeah. Of, of course, course they will. And they, you know, and there's. Um, uh, uh, so one thing again, because again we, we we're calling it the the philosophy podcast, and we want to take both sides of the argument, right? Sure. So would you mind if I if I yeah, take go, the for other side of, go for it? Go for it. Yeah. So we're calling it uh, steel mining, and that's uh, you know the the opposite of straw mining, right? I mean you you straw mine an argument, you make it look like a essentially a, a, a scarecrow, and then uh, the opposite of that, you make it like a out of steel. Um, the one thing that I I, I would say is that. Uh, history has shown us that the over-representation of poker players can be a bad thing, right? And immediately the full tilt scandal comes to mind, right? I mean, this was an example where uh, people who shouldn't have been anywhere near business, uh, they were basically handling <laughs> millions of dollars uh, of, of poker players. And, uh, uh, you know, there might be like some, some younger audiences uh, here that actually they don't know exactly what happened and just they very quickly to anybody who may not know what happened, essentially they did not keep segregated accounts for players' money. So essentially they were using players' money as if they belonged to the company and they used that money as they saw fit. You know, they paid bonuses, they did things and their accounting was basically completely screwed up. Uh, that's, you know, kind of like a, a simplified version of it. Um, again, we're not, um, if you really want to find what happened, I mean, we highly recommend <laughs> like consulting a historian, but that's and and I know I know much about this because I I lost money in that situation until you know uh, they were taken over later and we got we got our money back two and a half years later. So the the point that I'm trying to make is that the um, uh, the, the representation is is a real issue. You know, like we can the same way a committee can be underrepresented, it could also be overrepresented. You sure, know, by his absolutely, decision. yeah, and and and. It will be an interesting, and of course, you know, the other joke is it's easier to say what shouldn't be done versus to find exactly what has to be to done, do. right? Because yeah. essentially, you know, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not offering a solution by saying that, you know, we shouldn't put like too many poker players. The question is, what should we do? That's that's the right. real question. And Well, and, not, not let poker players um, run all of the details of the business. Uh, let people who are specifically designed to do such a thing I and mean, have specific experience run the business side um, and the accounting side and that sort of thing and let the poker players worry about you know the actual game itself right. functionally and all the the you know the innovative side of poker because like really the the downside is very clear in full tilt right the the full tilt just mm -hmm. example um, mm -hmm. but the upside was that Full Tilt was innovating in a way that no right. other poker platform was. It was by far the best software on the market. They were, you know, right. we, we would, you know, stars wouldn't have Zoom poker if it weren't for Full Tilt right. uh, inventing Rush poker. Like, Very so they were, they were super innovative. And that was because a lot of their software decisions were created by poker players who understood what was going on and saw the possibilities. Um, which is a great thing. Uh, unfortunately, the downside of that was that those same poker players were also responsible for managing money and accounting right. and um, 
not doing what they did, which is uh, not keeping all the money in escrow from all the player balances and just kind of like dipping their fingers into it, which, yeah, it's obviously horrendous and, and a terrible thing. Um, so to me, the answer would be somewhere in the middle of having specific processes that are set up and ran by human beings who have experience and are qualified to run such processes and then not letting them kind of mix Absolutely. And to add to that, like something that, uh, you know, I would consider as a as a proposal or like a proposed solution, if you call it, as opposed to just what doesn't work, would be, uh, you're absolutely correct, by the way, like that's exactly what happened with Full Tilt was innovative in many, in many aspects. And we need that. But at the same time, we need a company like that to fail uh, and to have consequences if they if they fail in any of the other important aspects, like, for example, paying people money. So in usually in situations like that, the, the uh, one solution would be to allow for more companies to emerge, which becomes very, very difficult when at the very least, you know, playing online is a gray zone at this point, right? I mean, yeah. some people will call it flat out illegal. Some people will say, well, I mean, it's, it, it depends. It's a game of skill. And, and, and we know, maybe that's a topic of another discussion, you know, <laughs> is, is playing online legal or illegal? Maybe we can have some legal expert. Yeah, we need a legal <laughs> expert for that because I'm certainly not the human to, to talk to you about that. Uh, absolutely not, me neither. So, but the point that I'm trying to make is that, uh, because again, Usually, uh, I, I'm not personal. And again, now, now that's, that's totally my personal opinion. I'm not steel mining or straw mining anything. My personal opinion, I find it very difficult. The, to, the, 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 the bottom up, uh, excuse me, the top down approaches where, you know, we're saying, oh, basically um, the, the idea that, uh, that, that Plato uh, did uh, back, in, back in the day where he, he tried to say, okay, these type of people, um, with the, 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 the golden blood, as he, he was calling it, you know, the, the, the philosophers will going to be the ones who are going to be responsible for the laws. They're not going to get paid. And then these type of people, the silver bloods, they're going to be the soldiers. And then these people, you know, the bronze bloods, they're going to be, you know, in, 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 in his republic. I, I'm not a big fan of, uh, even though like people like Plato, who are like insanely, you know, ahead of their time, I still think it's very dangerous for like one human or several humans to make decisions kind of like um, a priori, like kind of like theorizing how the world would work. Actually, the work itself sometimes tells us what the answers are just by letting it act, let, letting it act out. So if we had more companies, you know, um, again, fighting each other out and then usually the good ideas rise to the top and the bad ideas get, uh, get, get demolished. We, so. Yeah. So, so some sort of like a proxy of, of a solution, and again, personal opinion, personal approach would be to uh, encourage more, more, uh, more, more websites because what happens again when monopolies emerge, either naturally or, or artificially, uh, they're going to do whatever they want. And then we saw that with PokerStars, for example, right? I mean, the, uh, the, the rake structure, there, there's, no, there's, no much, there's no much competition for better or worse. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not judging either way, but like if you have multiple... Um, multiple companies fighting against each other then yeah and so that sort of ties into like you know the barrier to entry in, mm -hmm. in the u.s market like over time doesn't need to be like uh just restrict overly restrictive um just because there we do need innovation and competition like that that ultimately is a good thing i think it's better for the players it's probably not as good for the companies themselves um but it's better for the players and just i think poker in general uh i do think it's quite interesting philosophically speaking 
how after full the full tilt debacle, um, how a lot of the companies in place uh, sort of extracted kind of weird lessons um like you know fuck the pros was one of those lessons which was quite interesting because like for somebody that lived through the rise of full tilt it wasn't a major platform and then it was it was like a minor thing that gained a lot of traction through their marketing campaigns through you know just like play play with the pros right like that 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 slogan um, that which was it, true, by the way. That's another thing which is funny. Like you could actually play with the pros. Like absolutely. they were there. Yeah, they were yeah. there. It wasn't like it wasn't a fake advertisement. Sure. Sometimes, and, yeah. and and this comes from somebody who's been hurt tremendously <laughs> by, by that company. So I'm just right. trying to be honest. Yeah, and, and you know, it allowed them to capture a lot of market share over a small period of time. Um, and people loved it. Like the players loved. There's a reason why so many people played on Full Tilt. There's a reason why so many people are to this day very angry at Howard Letterer and the gang. Um, and that's because Full Tilt, while they hurt a bunch of people, they also hurt them in a way of like, we trusted you. We believed right. in you. Right. Um, and, and you were like representing us and, and you totally fucked us. And that is where a lot of that hurt, uh, I believe, you know, stems from. But but the positive lesson from that was they built a brand that was massive and gained a lot of market share in a highly competitive environment where there were tons of different op uh, options to play poker. Um, and, and so like that's why it's so like confusing how – that message kind of over time, once diff there were different powers uh, at B of at stars kind of changed and started going the other way, being like antagonistic towards the the professional poker players. That that's kind of like confusing to me. Um, so yeah, I think that I don't know. I, I just think that like we should take the positive lessons and take the negative lessons and do what we can with both sides of it because there was in full tilts defense a lot of good things that they did and then they did a very horrible thing um as well that we also have to take into account um and, and this is actually a, a very interesting uh a, a topic to me because i've thought about that uh, that a lot and it, it, it ties to accountability it ties to uh, I, I know we started with gto but like as you see all of these things are so connected right so it, it comes to uh, uh, you know ties to accountability responsibility and then questions like you know um should we uh should we forgive you know as a, as a community certain things and what does forgive even mean you know like is it uh or should people you know um still have to pay the consequences of their actions detached from any emotion you know i mean you know, you messed up, you just have to pay the consequences. That's how life works. Or, you know, we just have to kind of like forget and and and, and move on. And then again, like these are these are questions which, you know, a lot of uh, some people are thinking about, a lot of people don't care about. I mean, this, but these are some questions which, you know, could be interesting to potentially, potentially explore because it kind of like shows us again, um, the um, potentially could be tied to um, uh, 
forgiveness of, of ourselves when we make mistakes at the poker table, right? And again, what does that mean? Like, is forgiveness forgetfulness? You know, like, like all of these things which are tied together, I personally find them very interesting questions. I don't know about you. Yeah, I do. And to like tie it back into the thread of like GTO right. here before we, you know, close down this conversation, I think you could tie it back in by saying that like, you know, Full Tilt um, took a massive risk. Right. And as a company, whoever was in charge of those decisions took a massive risk that did not go their way. Um, it went very much uh, not their way. And the people that were in charge of taking that risk, that had a hand in taking that risk, ultimately deal with the consequences, um, whether, you know, wh whoever's opinion is that the consequences are fair or not. Um, there were lives that were ruined, lives that were crushed, um, most likely, and I, I don't know this for sure, but um, some there are most likely some very bad things that occurred because of the actions of Absolutely. those specific people. And so the there is a large responsibility and burden that, in my opinion, they, they must bear because that's a consequence of their actions. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'll leave that judgment up to other people, but for me, you know, if they're a pariah in the poker community, they can't show up without getting booed to a tournament. That's not even like they didn't go to prison. This is like a, they don't get to do this thing that they love and they enjoy doing. And yet a lot of them still have a bunch of money that they made from the whole thing at, at the end of the day that kind of sets them up for the rest of their lives. And they don't have to worry about any sort of monetary um, resources, which was their goal, right? Like that, that was their driving force. Um, so for me, like, yeah, it was a thing. Mistakes were made. And ultimately as human beings, you have to live with the consequences of, of those mistakes, whatever they might be. Um, I haven't really seen many articles or anything about anybody just like profusely apologizing or like giving the inside right. scoop of what went down. I haven't seen any of that from any of the, the people who were involved. So like, I don't know if that's a thing that like, um, if that matters to those specific players, then that really they need to take responsibility and come right. out and put themselves in a public forum and answer these questions. Um, that's really the only way there there's like movement. Otherwise it's like, you know, I guess the strategy is just to like hope that over time, everybody forgets and they can kind of just like pop back in the poker room with, without any consequences. And that to me is kind of not very responsible. Right. No, I agree with you hundred percent. And actually I agree with you so much that I'm actually trying to convince myself to, to take the other argument, right? Sure. So I don't jump, I don't jump into, into that side because again, I've, I've been hurt so much from, from that website and I have so many things to say, but one thing I'm going to say, like the one thing that I can think of, again, I'm literally trying to find arguments on the other side to, to still man to, to, to keep a balance as much as possible very difficult very hard um is that um i know f like uh, like i'm almost you know i don't know like i feel it's, it's such a high probability that their lawyers would be all over them do not open your mouth do not open your mouth everything you will say can be used against you uh, who knows when and you know even though some of these legal matters have been resolved again i'm not a lawyer but you know the the predominant slogan from lawyers is just keep your mouth shut, keep your mouth shut, keep your mouth shut, which again, I can to some extent understand, you know, uh, but in terms of like accountability, responsibility, and everything you're saying is just, again, it's like, if you do not want to open your mouth, 
um, then maybe the, the players, again, don't, don't want to accept you back to the community, you know, like you just have to, where it gets complicated is when, you know, specific entities are protecting, uh, they have to, because they have to protect all the players. So now you have things like, you know, um, in, in the World Series of Poker, I mean, you will see, you know, Chris Ferguson's, uh, you know, being player of the year. And then it, I, I believe it was, again, historians, please forgive me if I get this wrong, 2017, but it was certainly after 2011, right? You can see his picture um, right there in uh, was it the Amazon room. I forget which, which room it is, like uh, Brazilian, I forget which one it is again. Uh, I get all this wrong, so just never quote me on that. But his picture is there, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, fanning out his, you know, his, his caches. And again, for, for better for better or worse, I mean, this is just now a, a face, a face in, in the poker world. So so the, the question then becomes if, you know, if somebody hasn't taken responsibility because, again, they're following their advice of their lawyers, you know, is it is it okay to just, you know, uh, allow them to go and, and, and play? And these are, these are very very difficult questions. We're not, we're not the judge and the executioner, but I mean, at some point, there are some consequences, again, rationally speaking, not emotionally speaking, are these consequences are being paid, you know, when, you know, the, the brand seems to be, you know, alive and, and kicking. That's, that's some questions I would, I would ask myself. And, and also, like, if a player feels uncomfortable at the table and say, hey, I don't want to play with this person, I don't, just don't want to sit with that person, you know, um, for, you know, like, then what does the, you know, the, that might hey. sound like a crazy request. Yeah, yeah. What well, is that? I mean, it, it could. It could sound like a crazy request, but it's easy to frame it in a in a way that would make sense. You know, right. my my younger brother jumped off a bridge because of what happened at Full Tilt, and this human across that felt for me right, right now is right. one of the people responsible, and I don't want to play with him. Right? Like that's right. a that's that's a case that you could see somebody make um, that I think the the floor probably wouldn't do anything, but you right. can, un you can understand it, right? You can understand right. that perspective. Um, and, and ultimately it, it boils down to risk. And, you know, if the lawyers say, don't say anything, and that is what you choose to do because the, the right. risk, it, the downside, right. um, is higher than the upside, then you still must live with the consequences because that is your decision to right. not take that risk. Right. right. Um, so yeah, I, I think, that's pretty much all, all I have. Those are most most of my thoughts on full tilt, and I don't know how we ended on full tilt coming from. <laughs> you know, so uh, the, 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 basically, here here's the, the the chain of thought, which actually kind of like makes sense, right? I mean, we have we have game theory optimal, right? The the game theory optimal is more risky to online players because game theory optimal is associated with computers. Com computers are associated with online play. Online play is associated with potentially games being compromised. And then how do we prevent games from being compromised is by having potentially a balanced board that consists of both poker players and non-poker players. And what happens if we have only only <laughs> poker players? Yeah. Full deal happens. And then what are the ethics? It's all chained, right? I mean, it's not, right. I mean, somebody might think we're, we're talking out of our butts <laughs> here, which very well may. I mean, I'm not saying otherwise, you know, it's, 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 it's a podcast about, you know, uh, it's about, uh, about uh, philosophy and poker probably ruining both right i mean that's that's essentially what <laughs> <laughs> what is what is uh, happening here but uh, i i'm having a lot of fun i don't know about you <laughs> no, I'm, I'm having a great time and um i think originally the idea was like these to be you know 30 minute 
pods, uh, but we kind of messed that up uh, in episode one. So maybe we'll have to, you know, invest a little bit more energy in um, creating like a, a structure, uh, structure yeah. to restrict ourselves. You know, it's like, I think it was Abraham Lincoln. I don't know, just insert some famous president right. that, that said, um, you know, if you need me to, if you need me to do a, a 10 minute speech, I need you to give me a month. And it, if you need me to do a two hour speech, like I'm ready to go right now. Right. Exactly. Um, exactly. Cutting stuff out is actually very, very difficult because again, you know, like things like, what do you mean by compromise? Right. What do you mean by feel? Right. I mean, it's, you know, we're trying to write it down in, 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 a, in, a, in a tweet form, but again, there's all of that nuance and correctly so. Yep. Um, so Duncan, author of Why Alex Beats Bobby at Poker, thank you very much for your time and your energy. And yeah, can't wait to see how this podcast uh, format is received by the community and hopeful to do many more of these types of episodes with you, sir. Absolutely, sir. It's been a pleasure. And let me just say that uh, I'm someone who actually kind of likes uh, um, feedback. So people, the more than <laughs> no, the not welcome. The, not the polls, right? <laughs> not the polls. <laughs> Mr. Poll. Yeah. Mr. Poll. Mr. Poll Amurdas. Oh, oh that, was, that, was, that was too bad. No, so, that's, um, that's not good. <laughs> uh, no good. No good. Uh, you know, my, my wife makes fun of me and my dad jokes. But the... Uh, one thing that I want to say, like if people have any, you know, any, uh, as I usually call it, you know, any, any objections, questions or comments, more than happy to, to, to talk about this again, as long as, you know, the questions are, you know, civil, you know, any, anything goes, you know, we can always. Not always... anything to me, anything <laughs> okay. doesn't go like anything, anything like semantical. If, if I like misspoke or something like you can just like. Oh. You, you can send the questions all you want, but they're not going to get answered. Um, okay, that's fine. I, I, pers I personally don't mind. I encourage that stuff. It's just, you know, it's just me. I'm, I'm weird like that. But uh, yes, but uh, again, as long as it's, it's, it's civil, because that's not more, it's, it's easier that way to, to have a conversation. Some of these topics are necessary. I mean, by accident, sometimes they can be a little bit controversial. So, you know, we're not trying to, to offend anybody. But at the same time, you know, we have to speak our minds, right? I mean, we can't, you know, just hold our thoughts, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, we, we feel yeah. the way we feel. Feel and the way we feel, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so with that said, man, we'll shut it down and we'll okay. see you next time. See you on the next one. Take care, man. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter, join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.